Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Later in the hour, we'll meet Amy Rodriguez, a recent University of Iowa theater grad who is returning to Iowa City to perform in the touring Broadway production of Hairspray. But first, the stories of the civil rights movement are powerful, but sometimes history can feel far away. Reverend Abraham Funches Jr. has been helping people get up close and personal with history since 2018 with his annual MLK Freedom Tour. Funches is a pastor of the Jubilee United Methodist Church Freedom Center in Waterloo. The week-long tour takes place each fall with stops in four cities, Birmingham, Montgomery, Selma, and Memphis, and participants learn a lot of history along the way. In a few minutes, we'll talk with one of the participants, Waterloo City Council member Nia Wilder. With me right now is Reverend Funches. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you for your hospitality. So take me back to when this tour began. Your first tour was in 2018. What was your inspiration? What made you want to take people to these sites? Well, I think I've always wanted to go uh, down south to explore those cities for myself. And so a friend of mine uh, and I were just talking in the community, and the Vision Tour was born. And so we connected with Antioch Baptist Church and used their bus and um, there were all kinds of nuances associated with that particular trip. But we, we visited those places. There was about 18, 20 of us. And Neil Wilder was a part of that trip uh, as videographer to try to capture what we could capture. And um, we had a great time. Going to those places, why had that always been a dream of yours? I mean, you, you clearly are a student of history. Why did it feel important to you to visit those sites yourself? Yeah, well, um, you know, we, we are engaged in human rights work in the city of Waterloo. I double up also as director of Waterloo Human Rights. And, um, I, you know, oftentimes when you talk about the rights of individuals and you're fighting for those who are on the margins or the edges of community, it always brings to uh, forethought that the work that was done in those cities, in Memphis, Birmingham, Montgomery, and Selma. And so to see those spaces and places up close and personal, I thought would be highly educational, not only for others, but clearly for myself, as I wanted to make sure that I could say and, and begin to speak with some credibility, authenticity, that um, I've been to those places myself, and I've seen those buildings uh, for myself up close. And, um, you know, maybe what we saw in the movies is not quite what captures um, an iconic moment as being right there at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, for instance. You grew up in South Carolina and you were born mm -hmm. in 1968. So this was very recent history uh, that we're mm -hmm. talking about here. But that doesn't mean that you were necessarily educated about what what had happened and, and the importance of it. And, of course, uh, we understand the importance of history more thoroughly over time. But tell me, how did you learn about the civil rights movement when you were growing up? Well, you know, your parents and um, everyone in the extended family network through the black church, um, you began to appreciate uh, a whole lot about the modern civil rights movement. 
not only because of the historical elements uh, that were critical to the 60s, the 50s and 60s movement, but because uh, black people, other people of color, women in particular, they're still struggling uh, through a lot of um, you know, issues uh, that need to be redressed. And so because of the work that we're still engaged in, and uh, because of the way we're still fighting for people who are on the margins of community, who have been discriminated against in work or in housing, um, these places uh, still are very, very relevant. What brought you to Waterloo, Iowa? Oh, my goodness. That's a long story. Um, it's, it's kind of funny, but I was recruited out of college to come over and work at Aldi's Food, the German-style food chain. Yeah. And um, uh, I started working there. I thought I was going to learn what I could and then go back and open up a chain of stores uh, in the Carolinas. Well, to make a long story short, that didn't pan out for me. And so I elected to stay and I met my wife. I now have a son at Iowa State. Uh, He's working on his master's degree. And um, I think I've got a cosign for him on a car. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that's great. And when when did you feel called to the ministry? Um, I've always felt called to go into the ministry. I mean, Dr. King had always served as uh, an iconic figure in all of our lives, quite frankly. And so I know for a fact that he was um, a great inspiration. And quite frankly, um, also inspiration for wanting to go to these places where he walked and that kind of thing, along with people like Ella Baker, Byatt Rustin, and so many others. Um, but yeah, the call has always been there, and uh, we're trying to nurture that call. We've, we've you know, uh, currently taking classes, quite frankly, at ITC, Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta, Georgia. And some of the greatest professors teach at ITC. Let's talk more about this tour. You went for the first time in 2018, Mm -hmm. and that experience led you to make this an annual event. What what did you feel on that first tour? When is there a particular site that stands out to you that that really touched you and made you think, "I want to bring people here." (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think um, probably in all of the spaces, to be quite honest with you, Charity. But um, um, obviously, when you stop in Memphis, and that is the first place we stop, actually. We stay uh, in Memphis first. And uh, while in Memphis, uh, we get a tour of the city from a wonderful woman who works with Heritage Tours. And it's just mind-blowing what we learn. Uh, we now stop at the I Am A Man Plaza. And we learn a little bit more about the sanitation workers and, and Dr. King's involvement as he began to shift from civil rights to begin to address, redress economic uh, issues uh, in addition to a host of other things. But I tell you, uh, so the I Am A Man Plaza is something that kind of stands out to you there in Memphis. And, and, and then we come back to you Memphis. You go to Memphis, course. Tennessee, because that's where right. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. That's where he died in 1968. That's right. That's right. And the way the trip is organized, we, we see the Lorraine Motel on Friday. So we leave Memphis on Monday and we go to see some other sites. But Memphis, as you know, um, is the National um, Museum, National Civil Rights Museum right there in Memphis, uh, which um, I, I guess somehow encapsulates the, the Lorraine Motel. But yes, we, we go and explore the hotel and the room where King was felled by an assassin's bullet, and you can look across the street where the assassin allegedly stood to make the shot, 
And, of course, it evokes so much discussion as you begin to talk about King, his life, the others who were involved, as you look at all the movies and whatnot. Uh, but, but, of course, in Montgomery, uh, you know, now you have Byron Stevenson with the Equal Justice Initiative. He's created in 2018, interestingly enough, the very year we took the trip, um, you know, the, uh, the lynching memorial, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. Then there's also the Legacy Museum. Those two spaces in and of themselves are absolutely um, spellbounding because um, you learn so much. And there have been so many people on the trip who have gone uh, who are absolutely blown away because, for one, they didn't appreciate, um, you know, the number of lynchings that have occurred in these United States of America. Uh, but then to see uh, those columns hanging and then beginning to appreciate that each of these columns represent, represents, um, you know, tens of uh, people who were lynched for various reasons um, is, is just something to give uh, the participants something to think about. Uh, but those are two sites there. And then, of course, um, you know, in Selma, you have the iconic bridge, the Edmund Pettus Bridge. We did have Willa Mae Wright. She's an iconic figure in Waterloo, Iowa. She's an iconic civil rights hero uh, for many. And she was on the trip with us for the first time. And it was not until after we crossed over the, sub, the, the Edmund Pettus Bridge that she came to me and told me uh, she always wanted to do that. That's when I learned that this was her first time with me crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and that really made the vision tour, the 2018 tour, uh, very, very special to me and to others. Wow. We were, we were with Mother uh, when she crossed that bridge for the first time. Does it feel like you're on hallowed ground? It does. It does. Um, you know, I, I like to tell the participants that the air is different down there. I mean, we see the movies, uh, even the Edmund Pettus Bridge, for instance, it looks so much wider on the movie. But when you actually go there in person, you can see how narrow the sidewalk is. If you're not careful, you fall over into the street. Um, and so it's just kind of interesting when you look at the movies, you see everybody crammed on the sidewalk. But I think in, in the street as well. And you just don't have an appreciation for, um, you know, how big it is, um, how low it is, how it crosses over the Alabama River. Um, you know, how people are nervous when they're walking over the bridge because they may have a fear of heights and that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, the, the ground is hollow ground there. I, I would agree. And, um, you know, so the bridge is significant. Birmingham, you see the 16th street Baptist church where the, you know, where the girls were bombed and yeah. a fifth person murdered, uh, lost yeah. her eyesight in one eye and across the street, the Kelly Ingram park. I mean, all of it is special if you've never been there before. And so the CD's places and, uh, and spaces, the A.G. Gaston Hotel, which is behind, um, you know, the new museum honoring Fred Shuttlesworth, for instance, in Birmingham. All these places are special as you learn the history. And you can never exhaust the history so much. You have to take the tour at least twice, um, you know, before you can begin to appreciate and connect the dots. Uh, because it's just too much information unless you are already a student of history or something like right. that, um, you know, where you have been teaching this information for a long time. And then you're finally seeing it if you've never been to these cities, uh, which kind of helps pull it all together for one. We're going to have to take a short break here. 
Um, okay. But but we will pick up in just a moment and talk more about this journey and why you decided to make it an annual event. I'm talking with Reverend Abraham Funches Jr. He is pastor of the Jubilee United Methodist Church Freedom Center in Waterloo. And since 2018, he's been leading the annual MLK Freedom Tour, taking participants down south to visit Memphis, Birmingham, Montgomery, and Selma to learn the history of the civil rights movement and to feel what it feels like to be in these important spaces. We'll talk more in just a moment. We'll also meet Nia Wilder, who is a Waterloo City Council member and community advocate. She has been on the trip three times herself. We'll talk more about that. And then later in the hour, we'll meet the star of the Broadway production of Hairspray that's coming to Iowa City. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. We are learning right now about the annual MLK Freedom Tour led by Reverend Abraham Funches, Jr., who's pastor of the Jubilee United Methodist Church Freedom Center in Waterloo. It's a week-long tour that takes place each fall with stops in four cities, Birmingham, Montgomery, Selma, and Memphis. And participants learn a lot of civil rights history along the way. And uh, Reverend Funches, I, I before we bring our, our next guest into the conversation to talk about her experience, after that first year where you went in 2018, that vision tour, and you got to experience this for yourself, how did you then conceive of what the annual MLK Freedom Tour would be like? Um, well, I mean, it was just a matter of, um, you know, debriefing with people who went on the tour initially. Uh, but then I began to appreciate that, wow, you know, this is something that we should do every year uh, because other people would want to know more about it, especially after we began to tell our stories about our experience in being in these places. It was just absolutely necessary to take other people to see what we just saw. And so we began to talk to a host of people and, and uh, you know, came up with the ideas how we were going to negotiate with the hotels and and the charter bus people and this kind of thing to make this happen. And, um, you know, so far so good. We've had a lot of support. We are appreciative for that. People who uh, go are very interested in going, very kind, very pleasant, very loving. Uh, People give extra money sometimes to try to help with scholarship opportunities for those who want to go and would love to go but didn't have the money for themselves. And, uh, you know, it's just a glorious way of bridging um, the gap and improving understandings and uh, promoting unity uh, in the community around critical issues that affect all of our lives every day. It's working out great. I I was looking at information about last year's tour, and I was struck by how low you kept the cost. And I know that you've done Mm. an enormous amount of fundraising to be able to do that. But is that an important part of this, to make sure it's accessible to people? 
Oh, it's absolutely critical. I wouldn't want to do it if we can't keep the prices low because the people, the everyday ordinary blues person is the one you want to have the opportunity to go on these trips. Of course, you want everybody, but you want to make it affordable. And so what we're trying to do is uh, solicit corporate sponsorships. If there's anyone in your listening audience who uh, feels so moved to contribute to the bus itself, the charter bus, uh, to help us pay that, it's an enormous price. Uh, but it is by paying for the charter bus that we're able to work with the everyday ordinary blues people in the community uh, and in the largest state of Iowa and sometimes uh, states right around Iowa uh, who hear about the MLK Freedom Bus Tour and want to participate. Everybody's welcome. That bus trip, that's a pretty long trip, but you Mm -hmm. pack that pretty full of education. What, What is the time on the bus like? Yeah, we use the bus as laboratory um, where we show critical films uh, that either highlight something that we're experiencing uh, on the trip itself, like, for instance, the lynching memorial, or in order to introduce people to Brian Stevenson, we may show the movie Just Mercy uh, that stars Jamie Foxx, which opens up understanding for who this young lawyer was and who um, this man was, who was ultimately inspired to start the Equal Justice Initiative and and then um, ultimately the Lynch Memorial and the Legacy Museum, uh, this person who was responsible for getting people off of death row and getting people out of jail because of the new DNA uh, technologies and whatnot. Um, so many people who have been proven innocent uh, because of his work. And this is obviously just translated into opening up a powerful educational opportunity uh, in the cradle of the Confederacy, which is now uh, what we consider the cradle of democracy in Montgomery, Montgomery, Alabama. Um, uh, we, we believe that we on the trip, after studying the movies and uh, engaging um, in, in critical conversation around these thoughts on the bus itself, Uh, It allows us to explore the cornerstones of democracy a little bit better, help us understand the power of the vote and why the vote is so critically important in this nation. So so while we study history, we also understand how relevant this stuff is even to this day. Let's bring Nia Wilder into the conversation as well. With me right now is Reverend Abraham Funches, Jr., who is pastor of the Jubilee United Methodist Church Freedom Center in Waterloo. Nia Wilder is a Waterloo City Council member and community advocate. She has been on this MLK Freedom Tour three different times, including that first trip in 2018. Nia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So glad to be here. Thank you so much for being here. And take us back to 2018. I mean, you were hired to go on the trip as a videographer, but tell me a little bit about what you anticipated thinking about your opportunity to visit these historic sites. Um, And so in the beginning, I honestly didn't know what to expect. Um, I was just in my, I would say, late 20s. And so a lot of the things that I had learned about the civil rights movement had been either in school or in movies um, and just things like that that didn't necessarily make it feel real. Mm-hmm. Um, but once going and being on that bus with so many different people, with so many different perspectives and experiencing everything that we experienced together, um, that made it, 
I not just more real for myself, but for everyone that was on the tour with me. It was it was incredible. I do think that when we learn about history and and we hear these stories, it, it's difficult to really fully grasp the humanity behind these stories, the the lives of not just the individuals that that we hear about, but so many others who were involved in this movement, so many others. I mean, you talked about the the lynching memorial, so many human beings who lost their lives and their stories were never told. I mean, Nia, is is that what you're saying, that, that this helped you really connect with the humans that are part of this history? Well, it also, that and even deeper, it helped me connect with a deeper part of myself, because we are talking about black men and women who were bold enough to stand up and make a difference. We're talking about individuals who, I mean, even if we're talking about the lynching memorial, um, there were some black individuals who were lynched just for looking at someone or just for asking. I think I believe there was one where the guy asked for his shovel back and he was lynched. It, so it just really opened something in me and awakened the power in me to let me know that there's more work out here that we need to be doing and who's going to do it if we don't. Is there a particular moment you remember from that first trip that that stays with you that was particularly moving? Um, outside of the experiences that I had in the museum, I would say just being down south in general, there were so many different black people in power. And I hadn't seen that before. I mean, there were black, there were so many black cops, black restaurant owners, black business owners. There were just black people everywhere. And living in Waterloo, um, that's, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't my lens. And so to see so many people step up, that's what changed my mind first, was seeing how many black people were there making a difference. This inspired you personally, I mean, this changed the course of your life. You you were inspired to run for the city council because of this trip? Yes. So I started off um, initially just a videographer, a mentor, you know, someone that works with families and kids and the community. Um, but after going on the Freedom Bus Tour, I... I just knew that there was something more that I had to give my community. Like everything that I was doing was just fine, but it wasn't enough. And so I spent the next year or two figuring out what I wanted to do. And when the opportunity of city council came up, initially I was like, this is, this is perfect. This is my way to continue making that difference for my community. And I jumped at the opportunity. You were elected to the city council in November of 2020 that was a uh, a really difficult year. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that moment in time, given the Black Lives Matter movement, the murder of George Floyd, all that we had gone through yeah. that summer? What was that November like to be elected? It was like a victory for us because we had felt so beat down. We had felt so unheard um, just within the climate of 2020 that we needed a victory. We needed something to shift the paradigm and to shift the energy. Um, And so the timing was perfect. We celebrated because like it was our first time and has been the first time that Waterloo had a majority black city council. Um, 
And so it was it was much needed for the people of Waterloo just because we our spirits were low. There have been a lot of hard things that have happened since 2020 as well. Um, in your work on city council, what keeps you inspired? Honestly, the giants of the shoulders that I stand on. Um, Reverend Frances had mentioned that the first Freedom Bus tour that we went on was with Mother Willie Mae Wright. And being there with someone who she was the second black woman ever elected for city council in Waterloo. Um, she was a part of a lot of sit-ins and if there were neighborhoods that didn't have plumbing, she was there. I mean, she was on the forefront. And so for me, those are the individuals that keep me going to her house and getting advice from her and just listening to the things that she did to impact Waterloo. Like those are the people that inspire me because they did it and they did it at a time where it was much more critical. It was much more difficult for women um, to hold those positions, let alone a black woman. And so people like Mary Burdell, who was the first black woman and mother Willie May and Deborah Berry, myself, um, I do it for those individuals and also for the kids that want to be on city council, that want to hold a position that makes a positive impact. I do it for them because I didn't see anyone like me before I ran for city council. Of course, there were black women, um, but black gay women, black women with locks, someone my age, I didn't see that there until me. And so I hope that I'm able to open that door for someone else to see themselves there. You talked about seeing black leadership, black people in power, black people working in the communities when you traveled in the South. And a lot of the stories that we do teach about the civil rights movement are about the power of one individual. And of course, we know that there were so many people involved in this movement mm -hmm. in so many different ways. But um, when you were on that trip, you did have a, a really powerful moment when you encountered an artifact um, that was connected to Rosa Parks. Can you tell me about that experience? Yeah, um, we were in the Civil Rights Museum and there is like a replica. I'm not sure if it's the replica or if it's the exact bus that Rosa Parks had sat on. And when you walk into the bus, because you can walk through it, there's the the driver and he's just saying, get up from there. You can't sit there. And he's just yelling the entire time. Um, and in that moment, I just sat on the bus with Rosa and I closed my eyes and I immediately started to cry because I couldn't imagine being her or, you know, even young ladies like Claudette Coven, which before Rosa, she had gotten thrown off of the bus as well. And she was only 15 years old. And so I think about things like that. And I thought about moments like that in that time. And it really just connected me to why it's important for us to stand up for our rights. Nia, thank you so much for being part of this show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And Reverend Funches, thank you for continuing to mm. allow people to be a part of the Freedom Bus Tour. Like if it had not been for that moment, um, I could only imagine what the course of my life would have looked like if I hadn't had that moment to shape it. Yeah, much love to you. Much love to you. Thank you for your leadership. Absolutely.
Nia Wilder is a Waterloo City Council member and community advocate, and she has been on the MLK Freedom Tour three different times, including that first trip in 2018. And Reverend Funches, that just listening to Nia's story and knowing how many people you've been able to touch in this way, how does that make you feel? Uh, it makes me feel really, really good. And it also lets me know that there's so much more work that needs to be done. Um, you know, she talks about Claudette Colvin. Uh, someone that not many very people know about, but she was a young lady, as she said, 15 years old, who also refused uh, to go to the back of the bus. But they didn't want to use her uh, in the story because she had other extraneous variables in her life going on. Uh, She was unmarried and pregnant. She had a family that uh, had an abusive and uh, uh, a drunken father. And so they didn't think that she would be a good person to use um, as they began to push the Montgomery bus boycott. Rosa Parks um, was a much better candidate. And those little nuances, um, you know, of the story are important to help people understand that all of us play a big role in these movements, these struggles across uh, the South, the United States and around the world. All of this matters, and quite frankly, it's empowering when you begin to appreciate uh, more of those stories. When you begin to appreciate, as Nia says, she talked about, um, you know, her um, her sexuality a little bit there. Byatt Rustin was also a key figure in the the, the movement. Um, as a matter of fact, A. Philip Randolph and those didn't want to move without Byatt Rustin. King was a friend of Byatt Rustin. And beginning to understand, you know, how all of these forces work together in order to bring about something powerful like the March on Washington in 1963, it matters in terms of uh, broadening your lens and appreciating people of all different stripes and hues. There is a member of the community in Waterloo who was with King, um, you know, on Turnaround Tuesday, and his name is Larry Stummy. And we're blessed to have him still in the community. I talk to him from time to time. He's a lawyer slash pastor. Um, But he said he was absolutely amazed uh, back in, I think it was 65, on Turnaround Tuesday, when, um, um, you know, uh, King spoke to the people. They were disappointed with him. They were really bent out of shape because he went across the bridge and turned around. And the NAACP core, other people who saw this, were frustrated as to why we didn't continue to move forward. Well, in retrospect, we now know they didn't have the federal protections yet, and they did embark on the march again in March 21, from March 21 to 25, when they left Selma and went to Montgomery. But uh, Stummy said that King said, we have got to learn Um, to appreciate that we don't really want anybody hurt. And those people who are oppressing us, well, they're just sick. And we need to continue to pray for them and continue to love them. And Stummy said he had never heard such a courageous uh, speech dripping with love like that, and he was absolutely spellbound. Uh, And this is when he began to fall in love even further with the mystique of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Reverend Funches, thank you so much for sharing these stories and this journey with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Reverend Abraham Funches, Jr., he leads the annual MLK Freedom Tour each fall, starting in Waterloo, and is constantly fundraising to make it accessible for the participants. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. The musical Hairspray is about Tracy Turnblad, a teenager who loves to dance and auditions for a spot on the Corny Collins show and wins. She becomes an overnight celebrity and uses her celebrity to bring about racial integration on the show. Good morning, That's just a little bit of Good Morning Baltimore. That's from the original Broadway cast recording in 2002. But the Broadway touring production of Hairspray is coming to Hancher Auditorium in Iowa City the weekend of February 23rd. And in two of those productions, Tracy Turnblad, the star of the show, will be played by Amy Rodriguez, who graduated from the University of Iowa in 2021 and also worked as a student stagehand at that stage, at Hancher Auditorium. Amy Rodriguez is with me now. Hi, Amy. Hi there. Thank you so much for being here, and congratulations. This is such a great opportunity. Thank you so much for having me, and I am just absolutely over the moon about everything regarding the Iowa City weekend for Hairspray. Well, let's go back in time, not too long since you just graduated in 2021, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> yeah. you you studied theater arts at the University of Iowa. Were you involved in a lot yes. of productions at the university? Yes. So uh, my freshman and sophomore year was mostly when I was involved uh, with the productions, um, I was in four main stage plays. I was with the new work Iphigenia um, Point Blank. I was in Seven Spots on the Sun. I was in Orlando, and I was in Three Sisters. I was Irina. Um, and then, unfortunately, COVID hit actually like the weekend of our final weekend of Three Sisters. Uh, so my last year of school, it was uh, we started to do those like filmed productions, which were yeah. very different, but another really cool experience. Absolutely, but I, was, I was very involved. So you grew up in what in Schaumburg, Illinois? Yes. Mm-hmm. When did you start to have this dream of, of making a life in the theater? So I began performing um, when I was seven uh, at the local park district with the community theaters uh, in my area. Um, and it was really just something that I was very passionate about. But, you know, growing up, I, I really wanted to do engineering or maybe I wanted to be the president. And so I, I actually didn't really narrow down that I I really wanted to pursue a career in musical theater until I was almost done with high school and when I was deciding on colleges. So coming to the University of Iowa, you also got a job working at Hancher Mm -hmm. Auditorium. Um, Yes. So tell me a little bit about the work you did at Hancher in those years. Yeah, so um, I loved that job. We, um, We would get to sign up on the schedule for, you know, what types of shifts we wanted. And so I would sign up a lot for the load ins or the load outs of, um, some of the productions, like we would uh, we would host orchestra performances or choir concerts from even like uh, like local high schools, I believe. Uh, so it helped like build those shells and take them down. Um, but my favorite shift was when I would work the stage door during the musicals that would come through. Um, 
I specifically worked the rent stage door so I could sit and listen to the music. And, and so it was my job, you know, as the performers are coming in to, to just kind of greet them and make sure that nobody else came into the stage door while they were performing. Um, but I just loved it because I got to, you know, sneak a glimpse at the, at the actors. Right. I'm sure mm-hmm. there was, there was a little bit of fantasizing about what if I were in this show? Oh, of course. And, you know, I'm sitting at the at the stage where I tried to make myself look as interesting as possible so that it would be like, oh, she's one of us, you know. She. <laughs> so pursuing a life um, in the theater is it's an incredibly challenging path. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about your when you graduated, what was your vision for the future? When I graduated, I was just so excited about all of the opportunities that I I could have in front of me. Um, I was really fortunate to have been approached by um, actually another Iowa MFA grad, Lila Rachel Becker, uh, to be in her production of Anne Come Apart at the Tank um, in New York City. So in July, right after graduating college, I got to fly to New York, stay with her for a couple weeks. And it's a play actually written by another Iowa grad, Eric Marlin. Um, And so I got to make my professional and my New York City debut kind of the first summer that I was done with school. And so that was just sort of like an amazing first step into the rest of my career. Um, I moved home for a few months planning my move to New York, uh, but then that's when I booked Royal Caribbean. And so I was Tracy Turnblad in Hairspray for Royal Caribbean for a whole year. So, okay, um, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. So you were you were on a cruise ship performing yes. Hairspray for an entire yes. year. How many performances yes. did you do in that year? Um. I actually, I just counted it recently. I think I did 117 performances as Tracy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been incredibly intense. And there, of course, you were, oh my you were kind of isolated with the, the cast and crew of that show. Mm-hmm. What was that like? It was such a surreal experience. I feel like a lot of the times when you're doing musicals, um, you know, the cast feels like your family. And, you know, that's sort of, you know, more of just like, Sometimes it's just a nice thing to think. But on a cruise ship, um, the cast really becomes your family because they're all you have. You know, you go to work with them. You are sleeping in the same areas as them. You're eating with them at all times. You're going, you know, to beaches with them. Um, so it's a very, very strange experience, but definitely something that I would not have, you know, changed for the world. So after that year with Royal Caribbean, then how did you land this position with the touring company? So I had always known about the Hairspray Tour. I had actually, after I booked the role with Royal Caribbean, I went and I saw Hairspray because it was in Chicago, just super conveniently. Um, And while I was on the cruise ship, a lot of my friends had encouraged me to audition for the tour when I got off. Um, And so I finished my contract in March of 2023. I moved to New York City in at the end of May. And then um, I had submitted myself for the tour at this point. And actually on my one month of living in New York City, I had my final callback for Hairspray, the tour. Wow. <laughs> that's, <So>. that's almost <laughs> unheard of, isn't it? I know, you know, because you know, I was ready to um, to go to the city and grind it out and do, you know, seven auditions every day and whatever. But I was just very fortunate that Hairspray was casting as soon as I had moved to the city. And it just worked out really nicely. So 
you are the standby for Tracy Turnblad uh-huh. on this tour. Yep. You will be playing the lead in the 7.30 show on Saturday, February 24th, and at the 2 p.m. matinee on Sunday, February 25th at Hancher. So you get yep. the opportunity to star in the show on your home stage. But tell me mm-hmm. what, so being on this tour and being the standby, what is your day-to-day life like? Sure. Well, I I have to say I love being a standby. So I... um. I get to perform in guaranteed performance when we have eight shows in our week of performances. Uh, so a lot of the times when our tour is doing full week sit downs in cities, that's often where I'll get my performance. Um, but for now, uh, we're doing so many, so many different cities in the next few weeks that we are only getting up to like seven shows a week. And so I don't even have any guaranteed performances until we're in Iowa City. So right now, I'm just really being able to enjoy the places that we're in. Right now, we're in Colorado Springs. Um, and so today I'm going to go on a really long hike and I got to, you know, try the mineral water nearby. Uh, and I, so I'm just really enjoying like the traveling aspect of it. That's something that I've really been able to embrace. Nice. So, and being part of this traveling production, this is different than being on a cruise ship, although I'm sure you're all, you're all still very close and spending a lot of time together. (laughs) What do you feel like you're learning about? the the business of theater through this experience? Well, something that I have certainly learned this year is how connected everyone is. Um, we're really fortunate with our creative team that we have with Hairspray um, because it's the same creative team that, you know, created the musical in 2002. So Matt Lenz is our director um, for the tour, and he was the associate director on Broadway when they were originating the, the musical. And so, you know, when he gives you a note and, and when he says, you know what, this is the way to say this joke and this is the way to do that, you know that it's, it's what works. Um, and then he is so busy in the industry. So you just like, you know, you just never know who's going who's gonna to be there for you and, and who's going to connect you to your next step and who's going to know somebody on your next project. Do you connect with uh, the people from college, the other people who were studying theater arts at the University of Iowa? Do you uh, talk to each other about these different experiences that I'm sure you're all having? Yes, yeah. I mean, over the summer, when I was still living in New York, I got to see um, Crystal Stewart in an off-Broadway production of Khan, the parody musical, the Star Trek parody. And then I also got to see former Iowa grad Elijah Jones in Scouts, another off-Broadway show. So, I mean, it was just so cool to see my friends that I had worked so hard with at school, getting to see them perform in, you know, such cool productions and in New York City. How long is your contract with this show? Um, It goes until the end of June. And then what do you think is next for you? Well, I plan to go back to New York City. Um, I'm really excited this time to, you know, to really try the actors grind out and take classes and I just enjoy living in the city for a bit. And then after that, I'm, I'm not really sure. There are Broadway productions, not just in New York City, but uh, you grew up so close to Chicago. And of course, the yeah. theater scene in Chicago is also very exciting. Did you go mm-hmm. to a lot of shows when you were growing up? Did you have that opportunity? Yes, my family got to take me to a lot of, uh, we went to a lot of Broadway and Chicago shows. We frequented the Marriott Theater a lot, which is a great regional theater um, in Lincolnshire. Um, and so those are like, you know, I, I know exactly which theater at the Broadway and Chicago houses that I want to perform at. And I know, you know, what kind of show I want to do at the Marriott. And so it's just really cool to, um, to have those like really specific goals just based on 
what little Amy was walking into and seeing. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I understand. I mean, New York is is the pinnacle. But do you think about yeah. what if I made my home base Chicago and, and worked in that theater scene? What do you think when you look to the future? I mean, it's definitely something that I'm open towards. The idea of living in New York just felt so exciting and so different that I definitely wanted to at least give that a shot first. Um, but, you know, on all my uh, auditions, I, I say that I'm local to Chicago and local to New York. So maybe somebody will pick me up and take me home to Chicago. <laughs> so you've got uh, almost two full years invested in Hairspray. <laughs> yeah. uh, were you a fan of Hairspray before you landed the role? I was. I loved the 2007 movie growing up. Um, I just, I watched it at my best friend's house so many times. Um, and then I had actually never seen the stage musical until I saw the tour. And then I watched the John Waters film uh, during rehearsals for this, for this tour. And I loved that as well. So I have always been a fan. I always loved the music. Okay, so you hadn't seen the John Waters film be- even, even before going on the Royal Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's quite a different vibe. It was. It was recommended to me actually by our dance captain, Craig First. Because, um, you know, during rehearsals, he came up to me and he's like, Amy, I just, you know, I want you to remember that Tracy, Tracy can be the weirdest girl in school, you know. And he, he was like, it's, it's okay to let her be weird and, and off, you know. And so go ahead and, and watch the John Waters film and, you know, see, see what inspiration you can take from that. And I, I think that was huge for me. What are some of the other roles that, that are the roles that you really dream of playing? Mm-hmm. I would love to play the baker's wife in Into the Woods one day. Um, I would love to play Miss Hannigan. Of course, those are both roles that I'm probably going to have to wait a few years, but I just have <laughs> always loved parts like that. You know, um, Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd, stuff like that. Nice. So mm-hmm. as I mentioned, you'll be performing um, for the, the 7.30 show on Saturday, February 24th, and the 2 p.m. matinee on Sunday, February 25th. Yes. This is the closest that this tour will be to your hometown uh, of Schaumburg, Illinois. Do you have friends mm-hmm. and family from Illinois coming for the show? I do. I have friends coming from all over. My my college, my closest friends from college are actually flying from all four corners of the country. I've got friends coming in from LA, from Seattle, from New Jersey. And then I have so many childhood friends coming in uh, from Schaumburg to see me. So that weekend is going to be just really, really exciting and a great chance to connect with everybody that has like loved me at every stage of my life. Oh, that's wonderful. And your sister is a student at the University of Iowa? Yes, she is. She's a biomedical engineering major. Nice. Do you, I mean, you haven't been gone from the University of Iowa very long. This, this all has no. happened very, very fast. So do yeah. you, do you still have former co-workers who are going to be working the show at Hancher? Gosh, you know what? I think, I think the co-workers that I knew have all graduated as of last spring, but um, Danielle Robanks is still there and she was my boss. Um, so that'll be exciting to see her. But I think all the student stagehands that I knew have graduated. All right. And do you get an opportunity to visit with current students at the University of Iowa while you're back? Uh, I don't have anything specific planned. But I plan to definitely go to the theater building and, and say my hellos. Right, right. Well, I, it's, I'm sure it's going to be so exciting to take that stage. Do you feel a lot of pressure mm-hmm. with all of these people <laughs> traveling so far to come and see you? 
I almost feel like it's it's so overwhelming that instead I just like have to be cool about it. <laughs> I think that is probably the the absolute best <laughs> approach. So you're in Colorado Springs, and, and then where do you go before you get to Iowa City? So it's actually quite crazy. Uh, we're in Colorado Springs until Friday, and then we head to Billings, Montana, uh, staying overnight in Casper, Wyoming, and then next week we're in. Uh, we're in, we go to, we're in Oklahoma for a night. We're in three different cities in Missouri and then we are in Iowa city. (laughs) All right. That sounds. So the road is winding to get to Iowa. Yeah. That sounds completely exhausting, but also (laughs) exciting. And congratulations again, Amy. This is a really wonderful opportunity. Thank you so much. I am really so honored to be on the show and I cannot wait to be back in Iowa city. Amy Rodriguez will be starring in the Broadway touring production of Hairspray. It's coming to Hancher Auditorium in Iowa City the weekend of February 23rd. And she'll be playing the lead, Tracy Turnblad, for the 7.30 show on Saturday, February 24th and the 2 p.m. matinee on Sunday, February 25th. And we'll go out today with a little bit more from the 2002 Broadway cast recording of Hairspray. This is Can't Stop the Beat. Hands up time, but you know we're just hoping. And if they try to stop us, see we are the end of a lazy peak. Cause the world keeps spinning around and around. And my heart keeps on time to the speed of the sound. I was lost in the herd of the rock. And I found my way to peace of the beat. Ever since we first saw the light. One man and woman like to shake it on a Saturday night. So I'm gonna shake it, shimmy. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Caitlin Troutman, Samantha McIntosh, and Danny Gear. We had production assistance today from Tony Daner and Phil Moss. You never need to miss an episode of Talk of Iowa. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Talk of Iowa. I'm Charity Nebbe.